This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by Things from Another World. Look, we're all going to get comics and other nerdy goodness. We might as well get it from one of the biggest and the best. Things from Another World is the nation's third largest retail comic distributor, and we are proud to have them as a sponsor of Nerd Cognito. Whether you're looking for a new comic book subscription, some new action figures, or maybe just some accessories to go with your geeky lifestyle, Things from Another World is definitely the place to go to make sure that you're getting the best price and the best quality from a reputable and not a fly-by-night dungeon comic book store. Go to nerdcognito.com, scroll down the made page, and click on the link to Things from Another World for all of your comic and comic culture needs. Now... On with the show. Nerdcognito. Another week has gone by. Another episode of Nerdcognito served up to you fresh from your RSS feed. My name is Ryan David. I'm joined by Bert, as always. What's going on, Bert? Ah, not too much, Ryan. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I know you were a little under the weather this week. You sound a lot better. Everything Absolutely. everything well? Everything's better now. I did have a few health issues this week, but nothing I can't recover from. Well, we missed you. We had our, our Nerd Cognito gaming group this week, and um, yeah, it was, it was sad. There was no Bert. We picked up Alien Fate of the Nostromo, the... Uh, the board game. Cheap, cheap, cheap little board game. 30 bucks. Target, Ravensburger, that whole line of, of stuff. But they've put out some really good licensed games, so I figured, uh, even if we only play it once or twice, 30 bucks is worthwhile. So I picked I, it up. I agree with you. I've been excited to kind of check that one out myself. I've seen some, like, pictures and things online, but I haven't had a chance to sit down and go through it. How's it look? Uh, looks pretty good. Uh, I did hold it back. We... we chose not to play it so that you could experience it too because we love Bert. (laughs) (laughs) We ended up playing Atlantis Rising and I don't remember if you played Atlantis Rising with us before or not. Does that ring a bell? The name does not sound familiar to me. Can you tell me a little bit about the game? I, I can. It's a fully cooperative that is... You are... A, a leader of the Atlanteans, you know, everyone has a different leader role. Worker placement, where you're saving Atlantis and the Atlantean civilization by building effectively a giant stargate to get the hell off the island before it sinks into the ocean. No, I've never played that. I love a good worker placement. Yeah, it's it's not a new game by any means, not an old game either but a very good game. And the interesting thing is, every time we sit down to Atlantis Rising, the pacing that at least our group tends to follow, you know, the cadence of the game, it always comes down to it's going to win or lose on one turn. There's, there's, no, there's no gift. There's definitely a winning or a losing turn. Because every time we've played it in recent memory, it's come down to we won or we lost based on that final turn. So either we're really fortunate or the developers were incredibly anal in a good way. Hmm. And that's interesting. When, like when it all pivots around one turn, especially in a co-op, that's kind of interesting to see. Because it's not something... Like normally you can tell going in, like after the first you know, handful of rounds, if you're doing well or not. Yeah, there's there's no telling if you're doing... I mean, I guess there is telling if you're doing well. We had a, a really good rhythm and pace going, and our group kind of knows how everybody plays, too. That helps. We also don't have someone, you know, that's that's like the alpha gamer that will tell everybody what to do, which also helps. But no, it, it really comes down to it that we are in position to win on the exact turn that the game is in position to win for as well. And it's been that way 
at least three times. So that makes for some nail-biting situations at the end of the night. Uh, we did <laughs> we did create the the Atlantean Stargate and off the island, and and we did win, which is a good thing. Excellent. Uh, it's always nice when you win a co-op because. Yeah, everybody at the table is either going to be frustrated or super happy. That's kind of the way co-ops go. Hey, I like losing co-ops, as evidenced by my favorite co-ops that we talked about last week. <laughs> I like killer <laughs> co-ops. You really do. You really do. Well, this week we have an interesting show lined up. I've got, of course, the news all queued up and ready to go. But before we get into the news, I thought we'd take a little trip back in time and take a look at some of the greatest video games from Days Gone Past, but with a twist. The twist is, in today's modern age, we're seeing a reboot or a re-release or a reimagining of just about everything, from films to television shows, video games, and music. Everything that's old is now new again, you know? So I figured we'd take a look back at some of the greatest video games, the classics, and evaluate which of those classics deserve to maybe have a second look. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of crap coming out in the video game world this year. And there is. there's a lot of great games that... I could only imagine would be mind-blowing if you put a modern engine behind it or modern game design behind it. You know, Square Square did it with, with Final Fantasy VII. Blech. Now, not that I dislike Final Fantasy VII. I just thought that they could have picked a better entry in the Final Fantasy series. I did not play the remaster of Final Fantasy VII. You did, right? I did. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought that Visually, it was beautiful. The um, the controls were, you know, tight, but it was very different from the menu-driven role player that you're used to. It was more like an action RPG, but it still was fun to play. I kind of um, am looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with the next installment. The first one was just kind of just the city of Midgar, which right. could have been a lot, you know, you could have done a lot more, but... I see why they went the route that they did, you know, graphically and visually it was beautiful, but I would have liked to see more meat out of the game, especially since the original kept me busy for hundreds of hours. Of course. You know? And and I think the biggest thing that folks were, I don't want to say disappointed with, but let down on is that for a while there were things that were kept under wraps from Square Enix with that. And we really thought it was going to be a re-release and it turned out to be a quasi-re-release, you know? Right, right. I mean, it was broken into segments, and they're changing. They're going to be changing some things up. It's not exactly everything that you remember it to be. Now, this week, the re-release of Chrono Cross came out, which um, I was really geeked about. I, I played it for a handful of hours when it first launched, took it out of the PS1, and in the closet, it sat for 30 years. <laughs> right, right. Um, you, you mentioned you kept the game, but you never played it. It just kind of sits there. Right, and it's one that, that's always, you know, the one that got away. Well, I've always wanted to go back to it, and uh, now I have an opportunity to do so. So that's, that's going to be my rehash game that I'm going to be jumping into this week, I think. But let's take a look at uh, at some of the greats. Do you have one off the top of your head that just jumps out and says, man, I need a re-release? The first thing that comes to me was the first game that I ever played that scared the hell out of me. Um, I think I know what this is. The original Silent Hill. Yep, that's where I was going, because I remember you telling me, either on the air or off the air, about silent hill and the terrors that it caused in your early adult life <laughs> right you you would i mean you would sit and play it in the dark and it used the vibration function of the controller to mimic your heartbeat when you got scared 
you could, and there were tons of jump scares and monsters and challenges and that original Silent Hill, seeing that in like seeing a 4k remake with full surround sound would, you know, would be amazing. I'm going to go back a little bit further than you did. And, you know, I, I do have a love of the city builder and the God game. Right, right. It's not a complex. (laughs) (laughs) I spent entirely too many hours playing good old Populous. And I'm going to tag team Populous in with a predecessor that came out, I want to say at the, and I'm not exactly certain, but it was definitely at the end of the 90s, very early 2000s that was a Lionhead Studio release. Why I remember that, I don't know. Black and white. So, do you, do you, obviously you played Populous. Do you remember Black and White? I do not. I remember Populous. I played that, uh, I played a good bit of that. Not an addict like you, but I played Populous quite a bit. They were, they were pretty much the same thing. You know, you're helping your little people, or in, in the case of Black and White, you could be a benevolent god or a real bastard of a god, but you were managing your little world. And I thought that both of those, if revisited, could be done very well. Black and White had a lot of promise. There have been a couple of spiritual successors to it, but none of which have really lived up to that which it was. And I would like to I would like to see that because again, there's nothing more important than me. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, What's another one for you that you'd like to to see? Okay, now this one is not going to be popular because I know it is not one of your favorites. Uh oh. But it it was one of mine. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII. I didn't hate Final Fantasy VIII. It's one of the few Final Fantasies that I never beat. They actually do do have a remaster of it out, Bert. I don't oh, do know they? if you know that. It's a I want to say it's a PC exclusive, but there is a remastered version of Final Fantasy VIII available on Steam. Oh well, I guess we can take that one off the list then. Well, there you see when you when we finally get you into that new gaming rig, you'll be able to <laughs> download Final Fantasy VIII. Hit me with another one. Okay, how about, um, for a while, there was a whole string of games that were released for the PlayStation that were supposed to be amusing. They were meant to be funny and cartoony. Like Monkey Island, or? um, Like Blasto, like Earthworm Jim, (laughs) like Wild Nine. I would love to see a comedy game like that make a comeback. Now, something like Earthworm Jim, like seeing it, you know, for... PlayStation or seeing it for in HD, I can't see it making that much of a difference because it was cartoony and it was meant to be. Right, it's a cartoony platformer. Right, but seeing a comedy game make a comeback, because right now, like, games are serious business. When was the last time you saw a game that was released that was intentionally funny? Outside of South Park Order of the Stick, there's nothing that jumps out and, and waves up and down and screams at me that this is a straight-up comedy game. I I agree with you. You don't see a ton of comedy games. Now, there are elements of comedy in the games, but a straight-up comedy game, like a Conker's Bad Fur Day, I remember the uproar that that caused when it released on the N64. I mean, hell, there was uproar when Earthworm Jim came out, if you remember. I just thought about it. You know, looking at my games now, all of them are either serious games, cartoony or, you know, JRPGs. They love to go with that anime style, but there's not one that I would call a comedy game that I can remember for years. And you're very right. I mean, no, comedy is is a great, great avenue that I think, oh, let's get a development team together. (laughs) (laughs) Nerdcognito Studios. (laughs) Uh, My coding days are long long behind me unfortunately right so it's not a particular game but more like a genre of games that are dying it seems like they're dying for a reboot who doesn't like to laugh no you are absolutely correct i'm gonna dovetail along with that comedy into 
my next pick, which is a management game that had a ton of comedy in it. It was Afterlife. I'm not sure if you played or remember Afterlife. Afterlife was one of the B games that came out of LucasArts back in their heyday. Hmm. No, I don't recall Afterlife. The name sounds familiar, but I don't I don't remember playing it. Afterlife was Sim City for Heaven, Hell or Purgatory. Your choice. <laughs> okay. And it was all done very tongue in cheek and you got to uh, oh jeez, I guess it is another god game. You got to decide what sort of afterlife system your souls had. Were they punished? Were they rewarded? Did they get reincarnated? Was it heaven only? Was it hell only? And you sort of set up a little piece of the afterworld, guided by a cartoony angel and devil, stereotypically, of course, and all of the LucasArts games around that time had a lot of comedy inserted in them. It was the same time as Monkey Island and... Uh, yeah, Afterlife. Definitely a game that had a lot of promise that never saw any sort of follow-up. I know I had one more on my list that, that I'd like to see. Do you have a, another big one? Another big one that, uh, let me think for a second, because I did uh, quite a bit of, you know, for a while you, you just kind of had everything when you were a kid. You know, and so like you I, I try did. to collect as much as you can. Spoiled. I I have two. One okay. one is is the the granddaddy of them all that I really 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 want to see. In fact, I'll just go right to that because I could talk about it all day long. And that is Eternal Darkness: Sanity's Requiem. Oh my goodness! That game on the GameCube caused so many problems for people. It would create fake error messages. Like a game like that that was designed to make you sort of, I guess, doubt your own sanity would be a great, uh, great game to see remade. Like how many people would it trick as you, as far as it goes? And you know not I mean? only the trick, by the way, they only got me once with one of those tricks. And the, the one was delete when you went to load a game and you hit load it said deleting save file. And I actually <laughs> thought, because it was the exact same screen, just the day before I did delete a save file, and it looked exactly the same. But the fact that they would fuck with you in the middle of a Cthulhu game <laughs> what was beautiful. Not to mention the story for Eternal Darkness is in fucking credible. It is a great story, well told. The the I played the hell out of that game. There were four paths that you could take, so four distinct endings. Most people only know about three, mm-hmm. but there was the opportunity through a hidden room in one of the very early stages of the game to unlock the fourth god, Mantarok, which is the Azatoth of that game. And and have him as as I guess your chaos bound champion or your sponsor god for your match. Okay. Incredible game, great story, amazing villain in Pius Augustus. That I mean, come on, a Roman centurion that becomes the avatar of an elder one saving the world. It was truly truly remarkable it was dark for a nintendo game this was still when nintendo was releasing rainbows flowers and sausages everything i i cannot say enough great about it the 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 downside is i did load it up the other day and graphically and mechanically it has not aged well uh that's a shame now, that doesn't mean that I still didn't play it for a good eight hours, sitting <laughs> at my desk in my office instead of doing work. But, no, I, I was disappointed. And I guess I'm just disappointed with the technology in general, because once I got over the curve of, oh, this plays old, it, it was fine. 
but yeah, the the controls in particular did not age well compared to a modern third person adventure game. Now, one that we've talked about before that I know you never got into. I, I have I have one more just because the story on it was so weird. I would love to see it remade just to expose more people to that. Do you remember Earthbound? I do remember Earthbound. Uh, my friend was huge into Earthbound. I never got into it for one for what one reason or another. I was playing Robotrek and Super Mario RPG when when he was really into Earthbound. But the storyline behind it was just so strange, and the game itself was really weird. It would be nice to see like a reimagining of that or a reboot of that just to expose more people to that sort of oddness. You know what I mean? I do. Someone's going to write in and say, well, you know, you guys talked about this game and this game and this game, and they've already been re-released, you know. But no, lots of, lots of great games from days gone by that someone can make a shit ton of money with if they put forth a really, really good reboot. Now, I know a lot of them are going to be handcuffed because licensing right. and uh, IP. I know Eternal Darkness specifically, the one that I would really love to see, is probably never going to see the light of day because the IP was sold. There was going to be an Eternal Darkness movie. One of the studios bought it, and all of the IP went with that purchase, and so it's probably just dead forever in a vault now. But, um, no, I would like to see all sorts of those things come back. They would make me smile. Remember, if we gave you the idea, cut us in for a percentage. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that that's going to happen. But what right. they can do is when they are buying the furniture for their new office, they can go to nerdcognito.com, click on support the show, and just have a motherfucking shopping spree on Amazon, and we'll, you know, collect the pennies. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Remember, folks, it's 10 extra points if you hit Ryan somewhere with your nickel that really stings. Ow, 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 fuck that. Let's do the news. <laughs> uh, a couple news stories this week for you, Bert. My ball sack is aching. Just with the thought of that. Ooh. Yeah, that wouldn't be a good place to get hit. I was thinking, like, you know, the face, the neck, you know, somewhere that's going to sting, but... No, my went brain right went to the ball right sack. to the balls. Right to the ball sack. Of course it did. So, what, uh, hit me with the news, Ryan. What's going on in the news this week? Well, a cadre of former Dungeons & Dragons designers from predominantly the third edition era are re or not re-releasing. Look, I'm still stuck on the video games, but they're going to be re-releasing a new tabletop role-playing game called Everyday Heroes. Everyday Heroes, according to the press release, will quote, range from one-shots to multi-session adventures set within the universe of a specific movie. Hmm. So you are going to have a modern day role playing series in a action blockbuster over the top sort of setting. Why does this sound like Last Action Hero, the role playing game? Uh, it very much is. It very, very much is. Everything from Die Hard to Alien to Indiana Jones can be recreated throughout the system. Of course, without the Die Hard or the Alien or the Indiana Jones because they don't have the licenses for them. Okay, fair but enough. But it is a 5th edition role-playing game set to be an over-the-top movie Hollywood blockbuster extravaganza. And the price is right. They're going to release for 20 bucks, So you too can gather up your friends and create your favorite mega-hit film in role-playing land. This sounded interesting to me. It does sound interesting. Now, let me ask you, Ryan, because since we're here, we're talking about this news. You know, they say you can recreate anything. If you were going to recreate 
a blockbuster movie for our gaming group to sort of participate in, what movie would you like to recreate? Event Horizon. No, there was Ooh. zero pause either. One hundred percent Event Horizon. That's a really good. That's a really good choice. I mean, Event Horizon was sort of cosmic horror in space. It, it's a great choice for that. If you could recreate that, I would be and, severely impressed. And I've actually thought about this before because there have been other systems that have tackled this style of play before. And I thought Event Horizon would be an excellent choice because, uh, I mean, effectively, you're opening a door to hell slash other universes to travel through space faster than light, right? So starting with Event Horizon as your possibly starting and ending point, it it opens up the door for you to go anywhere. Hmm. You have a good point. I mean, you could expand in almost any direction from there, whether it's, you know, kind of, uh, you, you know, you could take those cosmic horror elements or dimensional travel elements or even regular space travel elements, depending on where you kind of carried things from there and really expand that out into an extended campaign. Not to mention that it is hands down my favorite underrated movie of all time. If I think of something that's sort of, action-y and things like that you know going back to the original predator would probably be one of my first choices you've Good got choice. that jungle warfare element i'd like to say that i would redo in the mouth of madness or something obscure like that but there weren't really a lot of action elements to that movie well there doesn't have to be because a, a second choice of mine would be john carpenter's prince of darkness oh wow which has limited action in the film mm-hmm. but the setup for what you could bring into your gaming world through the lens of you know that church and what was it supposed to be 1997 <laughs> right <laughs> was was right. the future date uh, or something like that but um yeah hey guys it's 97 the spice girls are awesome um yeah, the Spice Girls ushering in the end of the world. If you want to be my lover. Um, no, I I think that, and I skew dark. I guess I do skew dark. Well, in this case, I'm skewing dark, too. Have you seen In the Mouth of Madness? I have, and I very, very much enjoy it. But I'm excited because when D20 Modern was released 20 years ago, Wizards effectively dropped it like a hot potato and there hasn't been anything to replace it since. And this is the spiritual successor to D20 Modern. And some of the original D20 Modern developers are on the development team for this game. So... I I see where you're coming from with that because thinking about it, there have been a ton of like futuristic, post-apocalyptic, high fantasy settings, but I can't think of one like modern setting in the D20 system. Like... You could go. You could say something like Fate, where it can be set anywhere. But D twenty, like something where it was set in a structured system, like a D twenty system. I can't think of anything that was sort of common current day. Well, I'm gonna have to break my own rule and pledge it on Kickstarter when the Kickstarter goes live this spring. They're also going to uh, have a season pass available for Roll Twenty. If you do fake gaming online, you'll be excited for that. But it will, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show up everywhere. It'll be on Foundry, it'll be on Roll20, and for the real gamers, you can get the books. So, all in all, I think it is a big positive, and for 20 bucks, even if it sucks, you're going to have a good one-shot adventure out of it. True, true. Keep me in mind when you set it up. Will, will do. Hey, we talked about some things from the past specifically video games from the past, in our opening segment today. And uh, I'm sad to report the passing of a video game icon, Bert. The passing of a video game icon. Yep, she's gone. She doesn't look like they're going to be able to pull her back from the abyss. Is this about Ms. Pac-Man? It is Ms. Pac-Man. This has me fucking pissed off. 
Now, obviously, you know about the Miss Pac-Man saga, so I'll let you take over so that my head does not blow up. What was it in the latest collection from... Uh, they they replaced Ms. Pac-Man with... What was it? Pac-Mom. Pac-Mom. I was going to say Pac-Mother, so yes. With Pac-Mom. And so, like, the Ms. Pac-Man game was not included... Has not been included anywhere unless you go all the way back to, like, the original Namco collection. Right. Uh, I'm fucking glad that I have the Miss Pac-Man machine for my son. <laughs> you know, we went, remember that machine that we bought him last holiday? Yes, I do. Uh, we went back and forth on which one we were going to get, and I settled selfishly on Miss Pac-Man for myself. Well, I'm glad I fucking did it. Anyway, there's an ongoing dispute over the rights to the character of Miss Pac-Man. There has been for 50 fucking years. I don't... It's not new. Okay, almost 50 years. To make a long story short, there was a licensing tith, so you know that there's always the, well, is it Bally? Is it Midway? Is it Namco? Well, it was everybody. Everybody got a slice of the Miss Pac-Man pie. The solution to not paying a part of the royalty on a Pac-Man product, and let's face it, how much money is a Pac-Man product making in 2022? (laughs) Only nostalgia buffs like us would be buying Pac-Man in 2022. Right, and I'll get to that later. But the the solution was we're going to palette swap Miss Pac-Man and call her fucking (sighs) Pac-Mom. Now, here's the thing. Their target audience is us. We want Miss Pac-Man because we lived Miss Pac-Man. We put quarters in Miss Pac-Man at Pizza Hut while our dad got drunk on cheap Bud Light. Or Michelob. They had Michelob at... uh, Was it Mickey? I remember they had Michelob at Pizza Hut. I I don't remember what they had at Pizza Hut. All I know is that there was fucking Galaga, fucking Dig Dug, and Miss Pac-Man. Agreed. Uh, Unless later, I believe that some of the Pizza Huts had... Super Pac-Man, if you remember Super Pac-Man. I do remember Super Pac-Man. Not not a fan. It was only until I was an adult that I realized that Super Pac-Man didn't grow really large. He was flying above the board. Right. Conceptually. But, you know, as a child, it was just, he's giant. Anyway. In order to not pay the royalty, Ms. Pac-Man is gone. And Pac-Mom is in. Fuck you all. I'm done with you. Mm, I don't know. I mean, Ms. Pac-Man was a piece of my childhood, like you said. Now, let me ask you, because there were two different types that they had at the Pizza Huts. Did your Pizza Hut have the upright arcade cabinet Ms. Pac-Man, or did it have the flat tabletop Ms. Pac-Man? The Pizza Hut had the upright. Mm -hmm. I remember when we were getting a new family home built. There was a period in time where we were living in one of the rental properties that my parents owned while the house was being built. And instead of putting in, you know, a laundry unit for three months, it didn't make sense. They would go to the local laundromat and the laundromat had the cocktail, Ms. Pac-Man. Ah, the flat tabletop one. And you like you would always have problems because it'd have burn scars from people like missing the ashtray <laughs> while they're playing. I and- actually had my mother on more than one occasion make an offer to purchase the cocktail machine from the laundromat, and they declined every time. They were smart, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, they for Ms. Pac-Man, those cocktail machines were hard to come by. And the ones that you did find were normally all scarred up because people would use them as tables. They would set drinks on them. People would be stubbing out cigarettes on them while they're playing the game, like all kinds of craziness. I remember the guy that owned the laundromat talking to my mom, and he, he had some sort of Mediterranean nondescript accent. No, I, I will not sell this game. Apparently he's Russian. <laughs> <laughs> tonight well he isn't he is in your voice yeah I, uh, i'm gonna make him russian just for the sake of it because that's what we would not sell this game 
It makes it may be old, but it it brings lots of quarters. So, Russian laundromat man would not sell me my cocktail muse pack, man. Fucker, smart fucker, good for him. Yeah, I mean, now those uh, you know now if you can even find those cocktail machines, they go for a pretty penny. They they do indeed, they do indeed, and I would love to have one in my game room right now to take up more space that I don't have. So basically what you're saying is when we came over for game night, you're going to throw a sheet over it and use it as a gaming <laughs> table. Oh, God, could you imagine? Uh, how small. <laughs> hey, next item will bring a smile to your face. We've talked about it before. But the date has been solidified, and the Blade Runner tabletop RPG will be out this fall. The full yes. first page spreads have been released. Free League has announced that the Kickstarter will hit in May, specifically on May 3rd. So You sent me some of the promo stuff, and uh, I, I like that they one of the promos is the, uh, the class for Inspector, which yes. looks really interesting. But I'll be interested to see what the other classes they're going to put in there are. I, I assume Replicant will be one, but... It'll be interesting to see what other ones they include. Because when you think of Blade Runner, you think of either Inspector or Replicant kind of right off the bat. Right. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of evil corporate class. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Free League, who has published Tales from the Loop and the Alien tabletop role-playing game, which is coming to the Nerdcognito table soon, um, has also secured... Of course, the Blade Runner license. We talked about it in the past. According to the news release, the action kicks off, quote, shortly after the Wallace Corporation debuts the new Nexus 9 replicants on Earth. And it gives Ooh. the players the choice to play as human or replicant Blade Runners with different specialties, personalities, and memories. Ooh, okay. So that that brings a, a bunch of interesting questions when they say memories. So does that mean that your characters will have repressed or hidden memories? Like, is that going to be part of the storyline? I'll be really interested to see where they go with this. I'm almost definitely going to pre-order it so that we can, so I can try to get you guys into playing it. I, I'm first in line to play Blade Runner, without a doubt. It looks really good. It is Free League. We know that they've published a lot of great alternative tabletop role-playing games. So nothing but praise and excitement. And, hey, May 3rd is not that far away. So happy, yeah. happy. No, it is not. Talking about some financial decisions that have been made in the tabletop gaming world this week. Hasbro had a proposition to spin off D&D and Magic the Gathering. So all of the Wizards of the Coast properties, along with the Wizards of the Coast board games, into an independent company. And it would be, under the Hasbro umbrella, it would be a wholly owned subsidiary, but it would be an independent function. And Hasbro hmm. unequivocally declined. I mean, why would you? They how much did Hasbro go through to absorb those companies? They, you know, to get, you know, well, they T got TSR for pennies on the dollar, right? I mean, TSR, Wizards of the Coast, you know, how many, how much did they go through to get those companies and absorb them so that they could own those properties and make that profit? Why would they spin them off now? You know what I mean? Right. This actually came up. You know that. Michael and I do some pretty active trading. Uh, this sure. actually came up through our financial intake during the week. Um, Hasbro said, quote, it is unlikely to create value. It's contrary to Hasbro's strategy and would negatively impact the benefits Wizards realizes today. Um, right. Right. I mean, Hasbro is trying to trying to you know, become like a one-stop shop for your childhood, why would they give up any piece of that? The activist shareholding group that proposed it was obviously not happy. They have a 2.5% stake in Hasbro, and they said that they will actively try to, quote, Elon Musk 
unquote other shares of Hasbro <laughs> to move this proposition forward. So, by the way, Elon Musk, I have such a man crush on him for what he's doing to fucking Twitter right now. <laughs> it's it is great. Now you don't right, know but- it because you're not, you know, knee deep in the human filth that is Twitter like I am right now. Which, by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at I Hate Ryan David. But everything that I have said about Twitter has been justified, and it has a stamp of approval through the actions of Elon Musk over the last week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me happy. Fuck you, trolls. Uh, well, yeah. as long as as long as you're happy, Ryan. I know. You know, you know Elon is doing it for me. I would say that we're buds, but then I would be lying. Last but not least in the news this week. It's a shame, you know, Michael can't remember when the fuck we record Nerd Cognito because he would be excited to know that the Tainted Grail 2nd Edition and a new standalone adventure and expansion for Tainted Grail, his favorite board game, Hmm. was announced So for folks that passed on Tainted Grail the first time around, like me, a new opportunity to get a reprint that includes all of the original expansions and the new Kings of Ruin standalone experience is coming to Kickstarter. You're looking at over 150 hours of narrative content, new revised miniatures, streamlined gameplay, and... Who doesn't like it? Everyone had nothing but amazing things to say about Tainted Grail. I have, I don't think I've ever played Tainted Grail. I, it wasn't one that it was. It's one that passed me by too. I didn't pick it up. You didn't pick it up. Like we rarely discuss it. I know it's one of Mike's favorites, but I don't remember him ever bringing it to game night. Like we've never sat down and played it. Well, to be fair, it is Gloomhaven in proportion. So Okay, so very large. Very large, multi-session. He's asked about it, and I've told him not to because it doesn't make sense for us at our Nerd Cognito table, at least, to to start this when we would probably only get to a Tainted Grail session at best once every six weeks. Mm. Now, this is something I... I, I know that that's all the news stories you had, but I did have something that I wanted to kind of bring up in the news segment because it was something we discussed about when I got a chance to play Great Wall. Yes. You know, that was one that had kind of snuck through our group. Nobody picked it up. Nobody knew about it. They're, re, they're reprinting Great Wall. Yes. I just got an announcement about it. I, I saw that this week as well. I don't know that it's on my radar just because I have a lot of other games that are very, very similar as far as mechanics so it might be a pass for me i think douglas is interested in getting it and michael was interested in getting it i was kind of interested in it too especially since they released they announced that they were going to release the kickstarter packages as well so you could get the genghis khan expansion you could get the gunpowder expansion like those were the things that kind of got me interested was there were so many different ways to play the same game. Right. Like different modes. And you could literally set it up, like you said, in a different mode to get a completely different feel for a game one play to the next. Right. And that was kind of one of the reasons that I've been kind of on the fence about whether or not to get it, just because with those expansions, it opens up like a whole world of replayability with that. It does. It does indeed. And, you know, if if you're going to pick it up, I'll pass that along to Mike. And he might pass then, and there's no controlling Doug. He's either going to get it or he's not. So <laughs> well, Mike does make way more money than me in the real world, so maybe we let him buy it and we just play it. <laughs> well, that could be a problem, though, because the real world office is calling him to relocate again. Oh, really? Yeah, that's back on the table. So we'll see. Michael makes more money than probably 95% of the entire listening audience in the real world. 
He's the dumbest, luckiest motherfucker ever. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Mike. We do, you failing upwards fucker. Uh, (laughs) Bias things. (laughs) I I kind of failed upwards in life, too, though. So I'm not going to fault him for that. Well, I mean, all of us have our lucky spots. I, I, fa- I failed upwards. I married way above my station. You know, I got I got lucky there. You did, so, and, and you better not let her hear you. Otherwise, things will come flying from across the room. <laughs> I did no, all right on, on, on my marriage, too. At least the second, the time, second around. time around, right? Right. <laughs> your, your second wife is much better than your first wife. Oh, I don't give the first wife that much shit. Well, yeah, I do. She was she was kind of a cunt on wheels. Right. Uh, you give her a lot of shit, and you should. Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, with with that being said, there's no better way to transition and end the news than cunt on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> drive us on out of here, right? I will, and I'm going to drive us out of here and talk about my favorite place to buy dice i mean our hobby revolves around rolling these objects on flat surfaces you might as well get a great set and there's no better place to get a great set than the easy roller dice company they just released a whole new line of dice Bert. everything has been redesigned so if you haven't been to easy roller in a while it's definitely worth a look I don't know if you've been there. They have some really cool... I I don't know how to describe them. They're hollow metal dice. Have you seen these? I have not seen the new line. And and in fact, considering some of the new groups that I'm joining, I need some new dice. So uh, I'm going to have to check these out. Yeah, check them out. I think that they are awesome. They I want to say they're like wireframe, but they're not. They are completely balanced, hollow metal dice that are just amazing. I forget what the the technical term for them is, but you'll see them right on their front page. They are amazing. Not to mention, if you're looking for a more budget-conscious set of dice, they have those as well. You can even get a mystery pack. Five bucks, they'll send you whatever the hell's laying around in the warehouse. Maybe you'll get lucky. But the Easy Roller Dice Company is a great supporter of Nerd Cognito. We think that you should be a great supporter of them. Go to nerdcognito.com, scroll down the main page, find the link to the Easy Roller Dice Company, click, and enjoy some super premium, super premium dice. I really love the stuff at Easy Roller. I know that there's a bunch of independent dice makers out there on Etsy and and things like that. Right. But they're not balanced, and, you know, they're, they're gorgeous, some of them are, are legitimately gorgeous, but so are the Easy Roller ones, and the Easy Roller ones are tested, they're balanced, and gosh darn it, they're an American company with an American product, and that means something, especially in a shrinking global economy like we see today. Right, and I have to say, I mean, they're, all the products I've gotten from them have been high quality, they've been well balanced, like you don't have to worry about you know, hot spots or rounded corners or any any sort of issues with that, like rough spots. Plus, every time I order something there, I throw in a set of random dice just because it's cheap, you know? <laughs> right, right. No reason not to. Well, you could take that set of rando dice because, Bert, you wanted to talk this week about the pros and cons of joining up with a new tabletop gaming group. Right. And so I recently joined two groups, um, or I've been invited to join two groups, and I finally decided to do so. One of them is an online group with established players who, who have played all different types of games. And so it's kind of a, you know, we all have experience in different areas, and it's kind of like, how do you mesh that in? Because you've got, you know, this guy's an expert at fate and that guy's played broken blades and this guy's played D and D. And so how do you mesh that in? Find the, the balancing other... point between, between all of those players. And you know, I tongue in cheek boo you with the online game. Right. Right. But it, the, one of the guys is, you know, out West and it's the only way he can play. I, I, I so. get it. I know. I'm just being me. 
<laughs> the the other group is um, we're all uh, other than myself and the guy who's running it. They're all brand new players, so this is their first foray into tabletop games. And I know you don't like Pathfinder, but that's what we're playing, and it's their first uh, foray into it. So, what are the pros and cons of playing with somebody who's either new to the system or brand new to the hobby in general? Well, I think you have two very, very different dynamics between those two groups. You know, I think, absolutely. I think that the experienced group, regardless of what system their experience comes from will probably inherently get to the meat and potatoes of the campaign faster. Not necessarily better, but faster, just because everyone sort of knows what to expect with an ebb and flow of a gaming session. The newer folks, I think you're more likely to probably make a better long-term connection with those folks. Because think about just our life experience. Mm -hmm. The people that we came up through and paid our dues through are the ones that we most fondly remember, at least for me, that I most fondly remember in the gaming world. And I've played a lot of, or played at a lot of tables with a lot of different personalities. And even some of the shittiest, shittiest first baby step adventures that we took are the most pleasant memories for me. So it, it really is a completely different situation in both of those. I, I think that there's pros and cons to be had from each. Mm-hmm. And, you know, personality also comes into play, too. Um, it does. I, I mean, don't know the personalities at those tables. And are you going to have someone that is a little overbearing? Or are you going to have someone that is going to power game? Or are you going to have someone that's going to too aggressively coach you know all of those are questions that that pop up we have the luxury at least at the nerd cognito table that we've been playing together at least as the core group for a long time and whenever those x factors come in it's it's when we bring new players in Mm -hmm. with an entirely new group everybody is bringing their own set of expectations and you just sort of got to Close your eyes and walk through the minefield, my friend. And the thing about the Nerd Cognito group, that even though that we've been established for a long time, we're constantly, like, that's the group that I play with that constantly hungers for something new. They're always trying something new. So they're not, you're not kind of mired down in a system that you know or a system that you're familiar with because the group as a whole is always reaching for that next thing. Like, we want to try this, we want to try that. Like, we're always looking for that new experience, I think, in the Nerd Cognito group. Whereas We are. I just picked up the Mork Borg book, which I said I was never going to buy, and I ended up buying it. Um, I don't know. That's right. You were were out because you were under the weather. Yeah, I picked up the, the Mork Borg book this week to look at, and I said... For how long? I'm never going to use this system. And I'm like, yeah, you know, what the hell? Let's 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 take a look. Give it a shot. And I got it partially just to, you know, rub Michael's rhubarb because he really wants Fifth Edition to be the next campaign of choice after Alien. And even though, of course, it, he does. Even though it probably will be Fifth Edition after Alien, I, I want to keep him on his toes. And that's fair. I mean, you always want to, plus you may find something that you love. Like the, you know, I kind of, you know, I started with D and D because it was the most popular at the time. Like you could get the books, you'd go to your local borders bookstore, which no longer exists. And you could buy the books right there. Like you got into it. Like it was, I went easy... to B Dalton's by the way, B Dalton's. Okay. <laughs> but, or little professor, you know, I was back then there were a bunch of bookstore chains, but the, uh, you would go in and you could, those were the books that you could get your hands on most easily. Sure. Uh, unless you were going to conventions or something, you didn't run into those small press role-playing games normally until college. So no, because you literally had to cut out a page of a magazine and mail in to get them. And some of them were guys that were spiral binding them in their basement which is right. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's, that's fucking cool. 
and I support that entrepreneurial spirit, but um, that's what it was. There was no, I can upload it and push it out on people's Kindles. It was, no, I've got to get a ream of paper and a spiral binder. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I started with D&D just because it was convenient for me, but when it comes to systems, you may find something that you absolutely love. Like, I always loved the setting. The Mechanically, it was kind of a mess. But the setting and the uh, that kind of um, sort of blend of magic and technology that you find in Shadowrun always appealed to me. But as a mechanically, the game, the first edition of the game was just a nightmare. To oh, play. Shadowrun was was pile of dog crap back in the day, and it, even the new new version is just a less stinky pile of dog crap. But back back to the groups because we we definitely. Sure. Took the Got quick off track. Yeah, for sure. Um, what do you see? You're you're the one that is experiencing this, you know. What do you see as pros and cons? Um, to specifically, we'll just go through group by group. You you have okay. your group of experienced gamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your top two pros for that group? Um, they're more familiar with the the rule systems so there's not a lot of having to explain how something works or that you don't fall out of the experience as often with them you can it kind of you can kind of stay in character stay in the system and sort of continue the story moving forward with them easier i think is one of the pro is the first pro that i think of with them the uh the second pro with them is they're a lot more comfortable um role-playing or acting as their character, you know, as taking on that personality because it's something they're used to doing. Right. And that's, that, that was actually going to be, I was, I'm glad you said that because that's my big con for the new folks is you really do have to sometimes shake them out of their shell. True. True. Now the, the cons for an established, established group is because they know the rules you're a lot more likely to run into power gamers, min maxers, guys who design characters that are, you know, uh, broken or over the top. You know, we talked about trying to win at D and D normally the guys that you find that are trying to win at a tabletop role-playing game are the guys who know the rules best. Right. So and they know how to break and them. I'm not there to DM to put them in their fucking place. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another con with them is because they're so comfortable acting in character and things like that, you can run into things like, uh, you know, characters that are, or players that kind of monopolize interactions and things like that, because they're, they're like, well, my character's an asshole, so he's just going to keep talking and nobody can get a word in edgewise. And so there's not, sometimes they're getting into character sort of takes away from the experience for other people. Totally understand. All right, let's move to the newbies. The two pros for the newbies. One of the pros is that newbies are a lot more likely to experiment. Um, you, you know, just to give you an example, one of our guys at the newbie table has a spell. The spell says it can do, you know, it can make an illusion, but it doesn't really limit, like, you know, it tells you, okay, you can do visual, no sound. You know, it basically sets up the rules. But they're like, okay, so can I use that illusion to make it look like the ship is, you know, five feet shorter than it is? Or can I use that Ill- illusion to cover a hole? You know, they're, they're a lot more creative because they don't sort of have those ingrained limits to people who've been playing for years. Right. So that's kind of the first pro with a new group. Um, The second pro is because everybody in the group is new, they kind of um, don't want to step on each other's toes. So they try to give everybody a chance to participate. Which is is great. I wish that some of the old timers and the old heads would, would really step back and think about what it was like at the table, especially when they try to steamroll those new folks and having a totally new group 
that makes a lot of sense because they want everybody to enjoy it. Exactly. I mean, other than other than myself and the person running it, everybody in the group is a new player or and new to the system and so from from my perspective, I'm playing a support character. I'm a bard, so I'm out there to, you know, I give you a little healing, I give you a little boost, like it's your show. Go out there and like go go crazy. Right, and I think that's thing. a really insightful choice for you too because as much as I won't hold hands for players, I do think it's important for those of us with experience to be good ambassadors for them. And, and right. playing that support role is, is a good choice. How about the cons right. for the new folks? Uh, cons are, like you said, sometimes you really have to shake them. Like they're, the, our, we had our first session, and they're pretty much... They, they were like, okay, I, I think I'll do this. But nobody could kind of get a feel for, like, their character's personality or role-playing was... It was more mechanical to kind of start with. They were getting used to rolling dice, doing damage, how combat works. Like, but they weren't kind of feeling the... Uh, like, when you make a character, like, they're not, they're not getting into character. They're right. just kind of moving the character and doing things with them. But, you know, they're there. And, and it's funny. Cause we have like a, uh, we have like a messenger group that we are using to like coordinate game days and stuff. And everybody, like all the new people were like, okay, I'm going to try to role play a little more next time, or I'll try to have some things prepared because, you know, I went in as a bard. So, uh, you know, I was kind of a smart ass and helpful and do things like that. And, you know, I made, I made some jokes. Like it was easy for me to kind of fall into that, you know, the, I'm the support character, but I'm sort of the wise ass. And, you know, I have no idea what their personalities are like. We've got a dwarf with a dinosaur. We've got a, a female orcish paladin and we've got a human cleric and none of them, like, I, I don't know really kind of who they are other than what they look like. So well, that's and, kind of a con. Yeah. And, that's one of those things that's just going to grow with time. Uh, right. They have to get more comfortable. They just have to get more comfortable, and there's nothing you can do but give them a positive gaming experience to do it. So Right, I, I encourage think them. E even the cons aren't necessarily cons. It's funny, the deal-breaker cons generally do come from the folks that are set and entrenched in their ways, and the new folks are a lot more open to things. Um, right. I mean, the, the, because they don't know kind of what the limits are or they don't know how to play the to, to game the system, they're just there for the experience and to have fun. Right. The only other con that I really have that I really have with them is since they don't know the rules, sometimes you like the flow of gameplay gets interrupted. Yeah, where they're like, combats oh, are going to take a while for a while. Right. I don't know what this spell does, which weapon, you know. Uh, like, okay, if I smite evil and use power attack, what do I roll? What do I add? What do I subtract? Like, so it it's just kind of... Um, I'll tell you, you what know. really helps, especially for new players, is power cards. Where uh, this is what I'm doing. On the back, it'll have the die roll, the modifiers. Then they're not buried in their sheet. And they they have something tactile that they can use, like a cheat sheet and uh, that could speed them along. Like I said, I, I think you guys are doing everything that you can to promote the hobby in a positive way. Some people may not like it, may not come back. And, you know, at least you know that it was because it may just not have been the fit for them because you guys are doing everything that you need to. So definitely sounds good. Look, look at that. I'm being all fucking positive and shit. <laughs> And I mean that's fair. Uh, the you know when you've got somebody who's new, you can't expect them to. When you've got a newbie in a group of veterans, like I'm a veteran in a group of noobs, I can blend in and just kind of like support everybody, and I'll be like, okay, go have fun, run wild, and I'll try to keep you alive. Well, no, I think you guys have a a good thing set up in both groups, and um, pros and cons aside, I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's just fucking games. We do it to, to have a good time, and as long as everybody has a good time, 
the details are less important. But I think that's a great yeah. way to, to take us home, Bert. Let everybody know the reasons we do it. So I think what, what we're saying is, you know, if you have love for the game, you know, then you have to go easier on the people that are new to it. You yeah, know, you to can, an extent. You can beat up the veterans like us. Like, you know, we're tough as leather at this point. We, we've been through the trenches. I've played with some DMs that would make you want to, you know, take them out back. And, I've played uh, with some DMs that make me look like a fairy cake. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't think I'm not that tough of a DM. Oh, well, we will argue this later while I disallow spells for Bert, but that's about all the time that we have for this week. You asshole. I know, right? Uh, my name is Ryan David. The guy that just called me an asshole is Bert. We thank you for listening to Nerd Cognito and remind you that we are available on every major podcast provider that you could possibly think of and a lot of the minor ones too. So go to your podcast provider of choice, Find us, subscribe, like, you know, send us the appropriate five-star reviews. Everything that you would do for the podcast that you love. We certainly appreciate that. And you don't want to miss an episode. So being subscribed is the best way to make sure that that happens. Until next week, folks, we'll try not to disallow too many spells for Bert. Have a wonderful <laughs> week, everybody. Be safe out there, everybody. No!